Chapter Three of Quintus Oakes, A Detective Story. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Quintus Oakes, A Detective Story by Charles Ross Jackson. Chapter Three Oakes's Experience. Oakes began. Mandel and Sturgeon gave me a letter to their chief caretaker, Cook and I went to Mona as Clark, their agent, giving as an excuse for my presence there that Mr. Odell Mark contemplated making radical alterations in the mansion before returning to it. Cook and his wife opened that portion of the mansion which I thought best adapted for my temporary residence, about half of the place, I should say. I spent a few quiet days looking around the estate and the house. I was always on guard, however, lest I appear too inquisitive and thereby betray my true mission. There was an old maid-servant, Annie by name, and several gardeners about. These latter, I found, were never admitted to the mansion. My meals were served in the dining-room, and this room was the one in which I spent most of my time. The servants gave me but little information regarding the mysterious doings that had so frightened their employers. I could tell by their action that they were genuinely afraid to be alone in the place, and they all cautioned me repeatedly. They seemed anxious that the affair should be investigated, and said that Mr. Odell should have had detectives at work on the mystery. It was evident they were afraid that they would lose their positions if no one returned to live at the mansion soon. I noticed a strong undercurrent of contempt for Mr. Odell. They seemed to think he was a cowardly fellow, none too anxious to remain, or he would have investigated the affair. In fact, they behaved sometimes as though they thought he might have been at the bottom of the mystery. Occasionally, Cook and his wife, and Annie, had stayed in the mansion, cleaning up, and had never seen anything unusual. Nothing had occurred since Mr. Odell Mark had left, which certainly was peculiar. I could see that my true identity was not suspected. My presence seemed to have inspired confidence in them all. I called Cook and his wife, or Annie, into my rooms for a talk quite frequently. Nothing happened, and I began to feel that there was exaggeration somewhere, but, nevertheless, I moved with caution and slept in the back room over the dining-room, with the doors carefully locked. I insisted that Mr. and Mrs. Cook sleep in the front room. The servants at first demurred, but finally consented when I told them that if they did not do so, I would not remain, and would report unfavorably as regards to the remodeling of the mansion. I noticed that they bolted their doors carefully every night, and kept a light burning in their room. This I knew, as its rays shone through under their door in the hall. This satisfied me that they were on guard and afraid, and consequently unaware of the real nature of the mystery. Late one night, after about a week, I was looking out of one of the windows in the dining-room, watching a boat passing. The lights upon her and the throbbing of her engines, half a mile away, were plunging me into reverie when suddenly I felt a peculiar sensation of uneasiness. I glanced along the porch and at the windows. Everything seemed all right. I turned and saw Annie some distance up the hall attending to a lamp at the foot of the stairs. The afternoon paper lay on the table. I walked over to it and picked it up, stationing myself a few feet away from the hall door, where I commanded a view of the entire room, the windows, and the balcony. I heard, or fancied I'd heard, a step or shuffle, and then instantly something closed around my throat, and I was pulled backward and downward. I heard a rush in the hall, and saw Annie's terrified face looking into the room. But she did not see me. I tried to cry out for help, but was unable to raise my voice. 
realizing that i was being killed without aid i struggled with all my power i have an indistinct recollection of a shriek in the hall then a rustling sound as of garments near me the next i knew annie cook and his wife with two gardeners were working over me one of the gardeners had opened my shirt and thrown water upon my throat i was unconscious for some minutes they said but when i recovered my senses i ordered all hands to keep their mouths closed under pain of instant dismissal inquiries instituted by me revealed that annie had first heard my struggles and the shriek that had been given was hers response had been quick but when cook first entered the room backed up by his wife and old annie i was lying limp and unconscious face downward on the floor as though i had been thrown violently forward the recital of this narrative had been given in a quiet dignified manner one of absolute conviction it was an impartial statement of fact and we were profoundly impressed dr moore turned to me and said well do you feel like joining us ah then you are in this too i exclaimed yes mr oakes is going to let me have my vacation in his company i certainly shall go i said it appears to me that this matter is a serious one it is very serious oakes repeated there is a deep mystery at the mansion and its solution may be a dangerous one there is murder in that method of attack and terrible strength behind it what is it a man asked moore that is conjecture as yet said oakes i certainly heard the sound made by a woman's skirts or something of that sort but the strength was far too great for most women hereabouts yes if you were overcome by it i remarked the servants are firmly convinced that the whole business is supernatural that is hardly worth discussing i have no doubt that you two gentlemen as possible purchasers of the mansion will have opportunities to settle the question for yourselves there was just the shadow of a smile on oakes's face as he spoke did you notice anything peculiar about the people at the mansion the caretakers i asked no i thought their actions were natural especially when i was assaulted one of the gardeners who did not do very much to help me seemed preoccupied and made advances for a better acquaintance before i left i think he will bear watching closely he knows something how long did you remain at the mansion after the assault only a few days said oakes i could learn nothing more it was too dangerous when we return it will be in great numbers if our mission is suspected we will be obliged to work through other channels but i think we can fool the caretakers they will say nothing to you about the mystery and they will think i am more anxious than ever to dispose of the place should our work be suspected however continued the detective we will be face to face with complications we may have to be reinforced by men from my agency but they will probably not be known even to you the reward for the solution of this mystery is a large one and the prosperity of the town depends on it this matter at the mansion has not only affected its own value as i said but has helped greatly to depreciate the worth of the surrounding properties then turning to moore i think your professional knowledge may come in handy in several ways so you may consider that your time will be well paid for and your vacation is a profitable one that is of course if you return alive this was so seriously said as to cause me a momentary feeling of discomfort we now discussed details and arrangements for our start for we had decided to go oakes and i were to leave first while dr moore was to come a few days later owing to his inability to get away at once having finished with his story and the necessary details of instruction oak changed his manner and offered us cigars the jap brought in a few glasses and a bottle which opened up the social side of our interview noticing that our host had not lighted a cigar i ventured the remark that he was not a heavy smoker no said he i very rarely use tobacco during business 
It is a peculiarity of mine, I am told. His face was quite smiling now. He continued, With some it acts as a concentrator of ideas, at least so claim its devotees. With me it dissipates them. I use it simply as a pleasure when work is done. While he spoke, I was again impressed by that peculiar celerity of movement in small actions which I had noticed before. He passed the cigars in an ordinary, deliberate manner, conversing the while, but when he reached for a match, I was amazed at the lightning-like rapidity of his movement. His hand shot out, selecting it from the stand on the table, lighted it, and the cigar, and returned the burned stick to the tray with a rapidity and evenness which made of it almost a continuous act. It reminded me forcibly of the movement with the telephone receiver. I felt that, given the necessity and the occasion, his general action would be roused to quickness of the same kind, sure and instantaneous. He impressed me as a man with a tremendous reserve of strength and vitality. When we left for the evening, Oakes shook my hand with a stout, firm grasp, the kind that means friendliness and inspires confidence. When outside, I asked of my companion what he privately thought of the affair at the Mark Mansion. "'There is something extraordinary there, surely,' answered the physician. "'Knowing Oakes as I do, Stone, I am fully convinced that he is deeply worried over the matter. He would never think of having us in such an affair unless he desired our company. He is as brave as any man. His record shows that.' but he is also noted for caution. He sees, or thinks he sees, a dangerous game here, a plot, perhaps, where our presence will be a support. He has often told me in conversation that he regards the legal and medical minds as particularly adapt to pass judgment on certain problems of a peculiar nature. He has an idea that our training will perhaps help him in the matter, I think. With this remark we parted at Broadway and 42nd Street and went to our respective houses. End of chapter 3